And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and this is the Pledge Drive edition of the local coronavirus update. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. So let's see. First of all, we are raising money for the radio station today. What? Yes. And we have a goal of $1,000 for the local coronavirus update. Well, we should reach that goal. You think so? I would hope. I would hope so, too, since we get a lot of calls during this show. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing relatively well, having worked more or less nonstop since last show. Yeah. Um, How's it going? You know, it's remarkable. I don't think I diagnosed a single COVID case. Are you serious? In a week? Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, What's it's just happenstance. Like? There is still COVID, obviously. But um, they but just didn't come to you. They didn't come. They avoided me. Yes. <laughs> they know. <laughs> they've heard. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's the the pressure is off, at least in our emergency room in Ukiah, um, in a very significant way. The numbers are still, you know, stubbornly fairly stable. Actually, improved a bit um, and continuing to improve. But the surge of patients that we're seeing through the ER, you know, many of whom could go home, but some of whom could not, we really haven't been experiencing in the past week, which makes the ER feel more like a normal pre-COVID experience. It's kind of odd, frankly. That is odd. Yeah. Now, are we gonna? Are you gonna suggest we stop doing the, sh- the update show? Well, I don't want to have a premature announcement in that regard. So, any news about coronavirus? Well, let's do the numbers okay. before we forget. Uh, people do like to hear the numbers. Um, we are currently at seven thousand three hundred and seventeen, having added one hundred and sixteen cases in the last week. So, uh, you know, to sort of undermine my observation that I haven't really seen much COVID. There's still a fair number of cases diagnosed on a daily basis, somewhere around 25 or 27 a day, slightly down over the course of the last week or two, but not a lot, down maybe 5 to 10%. Right, still uh, high. Yeah, still, still high. high. Um, still quite high. About 200 people in isolation and quarantine, 12 hospitalized uh, throughout the county, uh, only one in the ICU, which is Good and to my knowledge, no new deaths holding steady at 86. Um, slightly stale data there. Um, that was all from I think it was Friday's numbers from the county. Right. Yeah, we tend to get news right about four o'clock. Yes. Um, California is still pretty flat, around 6,000 cases a day. Um, I think it's kind of stabilized there. It's interesting if you uh you know mendocino county is definitely one of the slightly worst counties in the state um and if you overlap um red versus blue counties in the state of california with covid rates we are if not the hottest blue county one of the very hottest blue counties and there's really almost a one for one or very striking correlation right now in the state of california with red counties being quite hot for covid and blue counties less warm wow not quite sure why mendocino county is bucking that trend because we are a fairly solidly blue county but uh there you go um the u.s is under a hundred thousand uh for the first time in several months a hundred thousand cases a day um deaths are still pretty high at around two thousand a day um and will probably remain high for another couple weeks before we start to see that trend down that old lagging indicator yes um in other news um national news or covid related news um another study came out showing that another 
and monoclonal antibody cocktail, this one manufactured and sold by Eli Lilly, was similarly effective. So that's another medication that is quite um, potent at preventing severe illness or death in people with COVID. Um, and a study was published this week in the New England Journal um, verifying or confirming very high efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine. No surprise there. Um, not quite as high as what we thought or what we saw earlier on in the pandemic, um, you know, back in January. Um, but um, it's still in the range of 85 to 95% effective amazing. at preventing severe illness. Um, so that's quite good. Um, and then, thirdly, in terms of breaking national news regarding COVID, um, a study out of Israel um, showed marked uh, improvement in um, immunity and disease reduction and death uh, with the Pfizer booster shot. Um, so, you know, that's the only one that is currently authorized as a booster. Um, Pfizer, as most listeners know, is not quite as good as Moderna at preventing um, severe illness with Delta. Um, but this booster brings up that protection on the order of 11 times. So, mark effective increase in immunity, um, really lending more weight to the need for immunization, booster immunization for uh, Pfizer. Okay, so so last week you were talking about how the booster really is helping on a kind of a, a, a societal scale, you know, like an epidemiological scale, but individuals may not get that much of a boost uh, immunity-wise, but now we're finding out actually... Well, it's it, to keep in mind, this is an increase in, in, increase in protection or decrease in morbidity and mortality when compared to a group that's already received the initial two um, shots. So they are already, the, the control group already has a high level of protection. So it's, in, it's an increase in protection that is significantly higher at the margins, if you will. Um, and so while that sounds like a huge number, and it is, um, it's still not quite as exciting as the protection afforded by the initial shot itself. So it's like 11 times between the 85 yes, to, exactly. to 100%. Exactly. Well, still, I mean, I have been wondering, and friends are wondering, too, who are eligible for the booster. Is it really important for people to run out and get that? I would urge people to get it, but you probably don't need to run. You can mosey. Okay. Yeah. Oh, don't tell people to mosey for an injection. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it. No, you got to run. <laughs> I don't want to be, you know. It's a shot. Pollyannish, yes. Yeah, no, but it does, it's not a bad one. Um, well, got any more? Because in that vein, I have uh, public health. We're trying something new, which is um, the folks over at public health have sent me like a calendar of the week's vaccine clinics and testing opportunities. Go for it. Um, so this is countywide for the week of October 10th through 17th. Um, so today, all public health clinics are closed for Indigenous people stay. Um, but starting tomorrow, uh, there are vaccine clinics throughout the county. On Tuesday uh, at Mendocino Coast Clinics, there is a vaccine clinic from 3 to 6 p.m., at 205 South Street in Fort Bragg. Uh, and also, let's see, there is a, in Willits at the Mendocino County Public Health Office on Wednesday, there is a clinic from 1230 to 415 p.m. And that's located at 474 East Valley Street. In Laytonville on Tuesday at Long Valley Health Center, there is a clinic from 10 to 12. And then on Friday, there's a vaccine clinic from 9 to 11, and that's at 50 Branscombe Road in Laytonville. 
Uh, Ukiah is having a vaccine clinic at the Ukiah Fairgrounds uh, on Friday from 9 to 5, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's at uh, 1055 North State Street. And then they're going to be vaccinating people at the Pumpkin Fest in Ukiah this weekend on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And they'll be doing that at the Ukiah Valley Conference Center, which is 200 South School Street in Ukiah. So I love it when they're out at those public events. Yes. Um, and you don't even start to feel a little bit icky until a couple hours later, so you can still enjoy the Pumpkin Fest. <laughs> you might fest. not feel icky at all. That's frankly. true. Yes. That's true. Yes. Um, and then there's testing throughout the county as well. So uh, there's the Ukiah Fairgrounds, of course, OptumServe, uh, Sunday through Thursday. So yesterday through Thursday. And then every, and then that's every day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. But they're closed for lunch from 1 to 2 p.m., which I've accidentally discovered a couple of times because that's when I'm free and can get out there and get tested. So, so that's, again, Ukiah Fairgrounds, OptumServe, Sunday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., closed for lunch. Uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. That's at 1055 North State Street at the fairgrounds. And then there's this mobile testing bus going throughout the county every day of the week. It's about time. Yeah. And that is, here's the schedule for the mobile testing bus. Uh, So if you're not in Ukiah, on Monday, they'll be in Mendocino at 998 School Street from 9 to 1130 a.m. And then in the afternoon, they'll be in Boonville, at 14400 Highway 128. Do you know what that is? I think that's in front of the fairgrounds. Okay. Uh, and that's from 2 to 5 I haven't PM. memorized every address in the yeah, world, but I I'm mean, working on it. It's your town. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So 14400 Highway 128. That's from 2 to 5 p.m. Monday. Okay. Tuesday, they'll be in Fort Bragg all day from 9 to 5. And they'll be at 360 North Harrison Street. On Wednesday, this is um, the mobile testing bus. They'll be in Willits from 9 to 5 p.m. all day at 111 East Commercial Street. Thursday, they're going to go to Point Arena and Wallala. So in in the morning, they'll be in Point Arena from 9 to 11.30 a.m. They'll be at 451 School Street. And in the afternoon, they'll be in Wallala from 2 to 5 p.m. And that address is 47950 Center Street. And then Friday, they'll be out in Covalo. From 9 to 4, and they'll be at 24281 Riff Road at the EOC. I think it's Riff, unless, unless it's Riffy. I wish I knew how to pronounce every road know. in the county, I but yes. I, eventually I'll learn. Um, so that's what's happening vaccine and testing-wise in the and county. And the, the mobile testing van, that's a weekly schedule, right? That's going to be an ongoing thing, or is that just this week? I mean, that's definitely this week. I know that they will be traveling around next week, too, but I don't know if it's going to be the same times and places. Well, it's a great concept. I'm glad that's up and running. It's so important, especially yes. as we're all so concerned about the Delta, vi- Delta variant. Yes. Speaking of variants, somebody called a couple weeks ago about Mu. Oh. Mew, we hardly knew you. Um, <laughs> that has really faded from um, concern at this point. And really? It could change, but Delta has seemingly risen to the top. Delta's um, like the crowded pur- Mew out. Purple yes. urchin of Yes, it is. Truly, of viruses. Yes, and it's all spiky like a purple urchin. It so. is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sensing a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one thing I wanted to mention before 
we open up the phone lines for um, on-air calls today. We like we love to to answer your questions and make the phone lines available for you to call in directly. Um, but I went to an extraordinary event this this weekend that's COVID related. And it was at the college. It was called Coming Up for Air, a COVID collage. And it was a presentation of the Mendocino College Theater Arts Department, which full disclosure, I I teach in the theater arts department, but I wasn't part of this production. But this was, um, it was directed by Ellen Weed, who specializes in these productions. She calls first person plural. She does these kind of personal monologues that people, you know, as a group, they'll write their monologues and then they'll sort of weave them together into a, 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 a program. Well, the one on Saturday night at the college was about our experiences during COVID. And I just want to mention it because um, the actors in the piece, they're not really actors. I mean, they're speaking, they're, you know, personal experience monologues. Um, the presenters were talking about all aspects of their experiences during the COVID pandemic including shelter in place, of course, and, and the all, you know, fear of shopping and all of the things that we've been through, plus the Black Lives Matter protests and the murder of George Floyd and the election and the insurrection and all this stuff that sitting there in the audience, I knew, I, I mean, I experienced it with everybody, so that had happened, but I've just kind of tucked it away, right, for a time when we're through this and we can sort of reflect on it. And I just have to say it was so incredible to be there in with a group of people all socially distanced and all masked and, you know, that. But the process of, of like, metabolizing this experience together was incredibly powerful, I wow. have to say. Wow. I just feel like it's part of what we need to be thinking about. Yeah, it's been a tumultuous year and a half, to be certain. And, you know, I think we all have sort of soldiered on through it but the amount of stress and anxiety and grief that we've all internalized over the course of the last uh, 20 months or so of this pandemic and the disruptions that we've all endured really are taking a toll and i think events like that that allow people to acknowledge that and give voice to it are extremely important and helpful and i would certainly like to see more yeah. um, things like that um and, and in the where collective we can do dialogue. it together yes. exactly like yes. in, a, in a public forum so i'm going to think about how the radio station might be able to help help with that but i do think among all of this conversation that we're having about you know vaccines and testing and questions about treatments and all that is also like how do we care for each other you know as we're sort of experiencing the trauma of this i know but you know i am a er doctor and i'm more on the allopathic concrete side of things but i too will get mushy on people and talk about emotions but only under duress <laughs> and then you'll have to talk about yeah. how awful that was yeah. for you. You have yeah. to recover from getting mushy. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and c- open up the phone lines. Eight nine five two four four eight is the on air line here in the studio. Eight nine five two four four eight. So uh, mm, we've got no calls yet. Eight nine five two four four eight. But I do have a, a handful of emails. So let's start. Let's start going through the emails first. My 90-pound, 80-year-old friend had a horrific reaction to her second shot. Chills, aches, 105-degree fever, utter weakness for 24 hours. She thought she was dying more than at any other time in her long life. Day five, she was still too weak to drive. Please talk about real bad, though rare reactions. She was totally unprepared, confused, and scared. Even wondered if something else was simultaneously going on in her body. Could her small size be a factor? She did okay with the first shot. 
Yeah, so that's you know that's on the extreme end of the spectrum, um, and I would speculate, presuming that nothing else was in fact going on. I mean, obviously, people can get a COVID shot and develop some other unrelated condition, you know, within a day or so of that vaccine, and you know, falsely ascribe symptoms to the vaccine. That has happened. I've seen that in the emergency room. Um, but I suspect that her profound reaction uh, was secondary to her small size. Um, you know, the, the dosage is really an adult-sized dosing um, schedule, and it's a one-size-fits-all. Um, but she, frankly, is more of a pediatric weight um, sort of range and probably should have received a smaller dose, particularly in hindsight, um, if she were to consider getting the booster, which she may not, given her reaction, um, I would certainly urge her to consider requesting um, a pediatric dosing um, amount, um, given her profound reaction to the first dose. Is the 12 to 15-year-old dose smaller? Do you know? Oh, um, that dose is still the same as I recollect. I haven't refreshed my recollection for about six weeks. Uh, I should know because my kids, two of my kids, got it. Yeah. Um, the the dose below twelve is going to be half the size, half the amount, the amount. But I believe that the the adolescent dose, if you will, is the adult dose. So, and and do we have any news on when that might be approved? The, the under lower, twelve. Yeah, the under twelve. Um, it's going through review at the end of the month. Um, so I suspect it'll be the first week in November if if all goes well all right well we do actually have well we had <laughs> missed it sorry yeah. call back caller hello caller you're live on the air hi um i had a question regarding covid updates and recent events sure um i just saw a, a newspaper headline i think it was the lake uh record beat and there was a headline that said something to the effect of, like, which is more effective, the vaccine immunity or um, actually coming down with COVID and the immunity afterwards. I just wanted to hear the doctor's thoughts on, on that debate. Yeah, so that, that's a good question. It's a, lot of a question that's really received a lot of study um, and, and actually a fair amount of public attention as well because there is this perception, um, particularly amongst people who have had COVID or had a COVID-like illness that they ascribe to COVID, whether it was confirmed or not, um, that their immunity is um, good and good enough to sort of obviate the need for the vaccine. That's really not borne out by what we know about both the natural immunity from getting COVID and the induced um, immunity from any of these vaccines, the J&J being still slightly less good than the two mRNA vaccines, but still um, quite effective. Um, and it appears to be that it produces a greater um, memory cell response in the immune system than the natural immunity. So the unequivocal recommendation of pretty much every immunologist and ID doctor who has studied this and really looked into it uh, closely is that the vaccines still should be um, sought and administered to people who have recovered from COVID because it boosts the immunity um, makes it a much more robust response if you are exposed to it yet again. Um, it also makes it much more durable, which is to say it makes it much longer lasting than the natural immunity. 
But it's a good question. It's it's one that I encounter almost every shift at work when I'm talking to people about um, their immunization status. Uh-huh. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Sure. All You're right. welcome. Thanks for the call. And All right. We have another call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, this is Jim. I'm the host of the Sports Phone. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. How are you? I, another great call-in show. I'm, I'm good. I don't know how much time we have here, so I sort of have a two-part question. The first part is um, I deal with parents all the time through the sports phone and through coaching who would just like an overview on uh, I'm not getting into here of, of discussing the value of high school athletics. That's a different talk. But my, my talk question is, is uh, Dr. Colfax believe that high school athletics done properly is safe? That's number one. And number two, if he chooses not to answer this now, we'd love to have him answered on the sports phone on Friday night. You know, Jim, as you're speaking, I'm realizing that I had some sort of email in my inbox at some point that went to the back of my brain and uh, never surfaced again. So, yeah, I'd be happy to call in and do a sports phone talk. Um, you are probably talking to just about the most sports-ignorant um, person in the county. Um, I, I literally have a hard time distinguishing baseball from basketball, but um, I can talk to. That may be a good thing. Yeah. Um, I I, I can. Okay, I, I'd be happy to speak to you know the risks, the COVID-related risks of um, school sports uh, versus the benefits of school sports. Um, you know, on your show, um, perhaps rather than doing it during today's show. But in general, to summarize, um, I, I certainly think that. Um, School sports can be conducted in a safe um, way um, during this pandemic um, that is manageable vis-a-vis -vis COVID risk. Um, you know, we're, we're schools are back in session appropriately so um, in general throughout this country and certainly in this county. Um, and, and I think that sports should certainly be allowed to continue as well, particularly since, you know, just about every sport is a is an outdoor sport with with few exceptions in this county. I don't think we have a lot of squash or racquetball teams in this county. Or but, ice hockey. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, even basketball, basketball is... Basketball yep. two biggest sports arguably are basketball and volleyball, so they are indoor. Right, no, and, and I was about and, to say that I, I, I didn't realize that volleyball was a big sport in the county, but, um, you know, those are occurring in large, large auditoriums uh, with pretty good ventilation. Um, obviously, the players can't be masked, but it involves a lot of movement um, and air circulation, and I think if attendees were masked okay. um, and players were not, that would be entirely um, safe and reasonable. So I'd be happy to talk to parents on, on your call-in show uh, one of these Fridays over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, so we will be back in touch, Jim. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, right. Alicia. Thank you, Jim. And we'll we'll listen up for the hey, sports boy. phone. I, this, I, I feel admonished. Fridays at 7. Hey, you know what? It happens to the best of us. Yeah. There's a lot of emails in that inbox. Yeah. Although yes, I, there are. I meet people who clear out their email inboxes. Oh, I have over 20,000. Like, if I'm with you. I, you know, uh, it's populations of, of, you know, small towns. Yeah. yeah. But... Let's get back to the call-ins. 895-2448 is the on-air studio line here if you'd like to call in with a question for Dr. Colfax about 
the coronavirus update or any issues surrounding that. You know the you know the score. We've been here for a long time doing this, and um, we've got our next caller. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hello. Hey, go ahead and turn your radio down, caller. You're live yeah. on the air. Okay, thank you. Um, last week I called in uh, with a question about uh, uh, placebo effect, and you answered half of it, okay. which is how people can make themselves well. But that you also said that some people that get a saline solution have side effects. So can you address that part of it, how people can make themselves sick? Yeah, that's, you know, it's, you're asking really complex questions. Um, and after, you know, 150 or even 200 years of um, research and, um, you know, investigation, the true um, mechanism of the placebo effect is really not well understood even yet. Um, we're, we're moving in the direction of some level of understanding, and it really does seem to be pointing toward our capacity um, of our nervous system, of our central nervous system, to um, manifest um, true physiologic symptoms in a way um, you know, through a biologic mechanism that we really can't uh, pinpoint yet. But it can both make you feel better um, or it can make you feel worse. And why some people fall on one side of the spectrum or the other with a placebo administration, we just don't have the answer to yet. But it's a fascinating area of uh, medicine and psychology um, that's just not well characterized. But that's, you know, that's, that's the standard for testing any medication is testing it against a placebo because we need to sort of make sure that we're not just seeing um, sort of the baseline response to a placebo when we're testing an actual medication. Um, and so that has to be sort of the comparison group in any trial, in any good trial, looking at whether a treatment is effective and safe. Great answer. And thank you. And thanks for the show. Thank you. Glad you approved. Off the top of my head, <laughs> so he's yeah. not going to be calling in to. <laughs> I, it's true. I don't always answer every bullet point of every question because, well, sometimes I get in the weeds, and sometimes I just don't feel like it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Or maybe I, I don't I know think the answer. Pretty, I think yeah. you're pretty complete most of the time. Like when it's a four or five parter, you I'm know, kind of amazed how you can remember all the parts. Well, my my legal background has led me to give the answer that I want to give rather than the question. I see. Yes. So, I see. Yeah. All right. We have another call. Yep. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. Hello. Hey, go ahead. Yep. Hi, I'm just going to stop driving. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I, I really, with all due respect, just would love to get into dialogue um, with with the doctor about the numbers. Um, I tried to research how many children have been since school has started in, uh, in early August. How many children have actually been more affected by COVID? And I'm asking this in relationship to the theory that the mandate is something necessary because children are more still more in danger by being in schools. I'm, I'm sorry. So let me just clarify, if you don't mind. The you're talking about the vaccine mandate, I presume, for eligible children. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the theory being what now? Well, I'm just curious because the numbers don't seem to have risen since children have been back in school, and I'm just wondering what. You know, what would be the reasoning to say, because I keep hearing that, you know, children are so vulnerable and they're back in school and we need this for safety. However, 
since they've been back in school, the numbers that I saw in the CDC posted on October 6th do not say that the, the numbers are out the box, like skyrocketing in children in California since they've been in school. Right, and that, that, that is correct. We haven't seen a huge level of transmission um, in schools since they've been back in session. We've seen some, to be certain. Um, you know, every, every week, um, a certain number of kids in each school in this county um, have come down with COVID. I, I, I think I can say that without exception, or nearly without exception. Um, as to the total number of children diagnosed with COVID in the last couple months since schools have gone back into session, I don't have that in my, at my fingertips. Anybody, however, who's saying that children are extremely vulnerable from COVID, um, I don't think is being quite um, fully honest. I mean, we as a community remain vulnerable to COVID, to be certain. But COVID in of itself generally does not produce a sev- such a severe illness um, that we should go around fear-mongering about its dangers. I mean, one of my conversations that I have with a parent of a sick child with COVID is your kid's going to be okay. Um, and I say that quite comfortably, you know, presuming that the ch- child does look in fact, okay, um, because we know that COVID really makes only very few kids um, significantly sick. Now, it does happen, but it happens with a lot of other illnesses as well. Just by way of comparison, COVID, you know, is about two times worse than your average flu season in terms of morbidity and mortality. So it's bad to be sure, um, but it's, you know, it's not crazy bad. It's certainly not bad in the way that it is for people over the age, say, of 60 or with comorbidities that put them at risk. However, and this is, I think, important to recognize that schools are, we're seeing very low case counts in schools precisely, I would submit, because schools are doing a lot to control transmission, right? So kids are being vaccinated, which we know lowers the uh, rate of transmission, lowers the incidence of disease, lowers the severity of the disease, and lowers sort of the likelihood that you're going to have a large um, outbreak. Um, Kids are wearing masks, ventilation is improved, kids are distancing, and a lot of activities are restricted and controlled. All of those steps are really known to help control the spread. So it's it's complex to be sure, um, but the the need for the vaccine um, for attending school, I think, is entirely reasonable. Not just to keep that kid, you know, to minimize that child's risk of severe illness, which is quite small, but to protect everybody else in that school and everybody else in the community. Um, And so it's certainly a reasonable requirement um, in terms of a public health policy, um, both locally, statewide, and nationally, frankly. Yeah, it's just um, I appreciate your uh, ability to respond to me because, uh, to be honest, at times I feel like there's a flippantness about people who bring up a different point of view. Um, So I'm appreciating all that you're giving to me. However, it does, with everything you're saying, it sounds like the necessity to enforce a rule that creates such, um, so many complex, not, not just medical issues, but so many complex sociological and social issues that the... I mean, everything you're saying is basically pointing, at least in my opinion, to the opinion that that we don't need to mandate vaccines. But, you know, 
that, that's what, it sounds like your argument actually is goes towards somebody who would say, well, why would we need to mandate it if we're already one low mortality for children, low, you know, low um, effect on children. Uh, we're doing a great job. And the reason we have that is because we're doing a great job. Like all these things. I think that if you, if you were somebody who was talking about not anti-vax, anti-mandatory mandates, right? I mean, and in the LA Times, it just said that there's actually for any new vaccines, there is a personal belief exemption until they go through the court system to eliminate it like they did with the other immunizations. So I want everybody also to know that the LA Times just posted that in the beginning of October as well. And the other thing that I find is interesting, and of course I don't know the whole story, is that that same LA Times article says that Governor Newsom has not gotten his 12-year-old daughter vaccinated because, quote, she's under another series of shots right now. And so, you know, all these things compounded just to me, keep creating more of a paradigm of hypocrisy and and um, and uh, and and a curiosity as to the agenda really at hand. And not that I'm saying conspiracy theory. I just think because I don't necessarily believe that that's too big of a conversation. But yeah. well, I I, I, yeah, I hear anyway. what you're saying, and I appreciate your patience. And I'm I'm trying not to be sort of um, hysterical around this, but as a public health policy, um, just to be clear, we really are interested in this account, you know, this goes for every epidemiologist and infectious disease and public health officer who has, you know, worked hard on this and thought about this. We are interested in protecting the health of the children, our children, my children, and the health of our community. And the data on this really does point toward the very robust need for vaccination. Now, we can go on all day as to whether that should be mandated or not, um, but the the law is quite clear and well established that you know a constitutional right to not be vaccinated does not exist, that the public health interest outweighs any individual opposition to a vaccine if you want to participate in public governmentally supported activities. And I think that that is reasonable and correct, given particularly what we know about this pandemic. Now, I, I hear what you're saying, and there, there will be hypocrites, to be sure. I mean, you don't need to look far to find some politician who is violating his or her own um, public health orders. Um, Newsom you know, has, a, has a track record on this. I don't know anything about his vaccine status of his kids, but... But, you know, maybe they're going to get vaccinated at some fancy restaurant in Yountville. All right, caller. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you. Okay. All right. It's 895-2448 is the on-air line. If you'd like to call in with your question, we've got another 12 minutes or so. We have another caller. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yes. Hello. Uh, This is Mike calling, and I have a question. I appreciate your show very much. It's very good. Somebody posted on Facebook that the uh, who is paying for these shots, and I would just like to be able to answer that with a clear picture. I'm assuming government is reimbursing for all the shots and uh, tests and everything. Do you know any any answers to that? Yeah, so the government, in a rare um, support for public health, um, is actually paying for all the immunizations in this country. Um, 
so far. Uh-huh. It's not painful right. all the testing, um, you know, across the board. I mean, the over-the-counter test at home kits cost money at your local drugstore. The testing events and centers are sponsored by the government. Um, so that's where things stand. That I think will continue to remain um, the federal policy uh, throughout this pandemic. Um, it would be nice to see this translated in, into other healthcare realms, but you know that's that's a well. Big, we should have national healthcare. Yeah. Yes. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Any other well, questions, okay. Mike? Thank- yeah. That's that's it for me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Right. Then thanks for calling in. Okay. It's great to hear from you. Sure, bye. Okay, bye. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I got my booster shot yesterday at Rite Aid and Willis, and that would be the third Pfizer shot I've had. And I was wondering how long does it take it to kick in before I can figure I got a boost in effectiveness. That's a good. That's a great question. Actually, um, it's pretty quick. Um, you know, it's not instantaneous, but you know, the the reaction, if you have any, um, generally occurs within about eighteen to say seventy two hours after getting the vaccine. So I think one can safely infer that after about three days, you are seeing some significant boost in your immunity. Uh, that doesn't mean you know masks off and it's time to go raving, um, but it does. Um, you know, it kicks in pretty quickly. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Yeah. I did. I wondered that too. All right, we have an email. She says, "I'm currently isolated at home as one of last week's positive cases, having Ugh. had Pfizer vaccination in February and March, age seventy. Should I get a booster, and when?" Good question. Um, you know, we had urged um, people to not get the booster for quite a while after getting a COVID illness, but that has now fallen um, fallen or been shortened quite a bit. So the general recommendation of most providers for most people um, across the board is about two weeks after your recovery. So I don't know if you're having any symptoms while you isolate at home. Hopefully not. Um, but two weeks after the end of your 10-day quarantine would be when you would be eligible for the booster. Um, and then your second part question is whether you should, in fact, get the booster. Um, unfortunately, the answer is still yes. Um, you probably don't need to get it you know, immediately two weeks after your 10-day um, isolation period, but it would still be a very good idea to further boost your immunity uh, with, with that uh, third Pfizer dose. So even if she's had it? Yeah. Yeah. So she people, could get it again. She could. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's a very good question that email uh, person uh, sent in. That's, you know, that's going to be on a lot of people's minds as we move through this surge and the booster shots become available. Speaking of boosters, I, I do think we're going to see the Moderna and the J&J uh, boosters uh, be authorized probably in the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, very good data showing that the J&J booster actually is extremely effective at bringing that vaccine's um, protection up to the level of the mRNA vaccines. So um that's uh, stand stay tuned for that news. that is That'll be- so interesting why didn't they just make it a two-shot regimen well because one shot is fast yeah. simple and deployable right? yeah yeah so it, it was a reasonable strategy in terms of getting it out there but what we know about vaccines is it usually takes more than one which is why you get you know your kids get you know stage s- series of, of vaccines yes. yeah all right Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, We're going to go out with just, uh, well, we've got two minutes left. Do you have anything else to sort of remind people? 
uh, you know, we are, we're getting through this. Things are improving. Um, numbers are still a little bit sticky in the county. Um, but Amazing news about not diagnosing anyone in your last week. Yeah, on, I, on I, I really don't know what that was about, but uh, I'll take it, right? I didn't feel like I had uh, COVID coating me, little spiky proteins when I got home from work each day. So, well, that's yeah. good. Is that what it's been like? Yeah, well, Did, yeah. Can I ask you on air? Did you get your booster? I haven't yet. Um, not due to You're any moseying. Sort of, yeah, not due to any um, <laughs> objection. I just, I literally haven't had the time to uh, schedule the possible sort of day or two of febrile illness and not wanting oh, to right. work during that. I haven't done it yet, but I'm fixing to. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to mosey down and get our, our boosters. Um, this has been the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. As always, we really appreciate you calling in with your questions. listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.